Hello and welcome to this episode of the Event Manager Podcast by Skiff Meetings, the podcast for curious meeting professionals embracing the future of business events. My name is Miguel Nevsh and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Skiff Meetings. In this episode titled Intuitive Event Tech, I have the pleasure of speaking with Andrew Pearson, Chief Marketing Officer at WebEx Events, formerly Socio. Our conversation revolves around using event tech to create intuitive experiences. We start by exploring how events have always been part of Andrew's entrepreneurial journey. We go on to talk about why simplifying processes and features is the way to go to make event tech truly intuitive. We talk about the importance of a single source of content truth when it comes to event apps, websites, and other internal or external sources of information at events. We talk about why fun moments in virtual events really matter, and we talk about why interaction is really important to make people attend virtual events live. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation, and I invite you to check out the other episodes of the podcast, which you can find on our website or by subscribing through your favorite podcast service. And now for a word from our sponsors, PHL Life Sciences, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Host your convention or trade show in Philadelphia, one of America's leading life sciences hubs. PHL Life Sciences, the first and only CVB division of its kind, will connect you to the professionals at the forefront of your industry and to a culture you can only find in Philadelphia. A city known for its rich history that's forging a bright future, Philadelphia challenges the expected and defies convention. A world of discovery is waiting. Visit phllife.com to learn more. Hey everybody, welcome to this edition of the Event Manager podcast by Skiff Meetings. Today I am delighted to be speaking with Andrew Pearson, the CMO of WebEx Events, formerly Socio. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you, Miguel, for having me. This is a really exciting conversation, um, uh, hot on the heels of a pretty fantastic event with IMEX out in Las Vegas. And actually for me, uh, literally uh, an hour or two uh, before our huge annual flagship event WebEx1 kicks off. So um, you've caught me right in the middle of, of two incredible moments in the event industry. Excellent. So hopefully we can capture that that moment. And, and I look forward to hearing more about uh, the event and what you're doing around that. So thank you for making time today. Uh, I think it's very impressive that you're able to talk to us. So really appreciate that. Um, wanted to just start by getting you to introduce yourself, um, you know, really about how you started to connect with the events industry in particular. Uh, and take us through to your role today. Um, start wherever you want to start, but I'm very curious to learn about your your journey so far and how it relates to events and meetings. Yeah, it's great. You know, you, you have me thinking back to um, many phases of my career, but I think there's two moments uh, for me that really kind of crystallize um, the convergence between my marketing profession and then uh, my role in the event industry. So, you know, actually back in college, I was the head of the nation's largest student environmental coalition. We had, you know, hundreds of chapters nationwide and, you know, I showed up on campus as a freshman and by my sophomore year suddenly was, you know, sort of the, the leader of the organization and we were hosting uh, the organization's national conference just so happened to uh, be scheduled for um, where I was going to school, UNC Chapel Hill. So that that really kicked off my career in, in events, right? Like planning a conference for uh, thousands and thousands of students and figuring out agendas and big name speakers and funding. Um, but, but all through that as well, I think I got my introduction to marketing 
uh, both, both in that role, right? Trying to convince people not just to show up for your events, but to support the cause or, um, or, or do, you know, do the action or show up at the um, activity you have planned. Uh, but also, um, it, my introduction to tech started fairly early on, um, and I got involved in an internet startup uh, right after college. And so um, that, that schooled me up pretty quickly on all the things uh, regarding technology. Interesting. So you've always been in, in the marketing side. Um, has there always been a kind of strong event component to the different roles that, that you've had throughout the years? Because, you have, I mean, this is your first role. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe this is your first role kind of in event tech specifically. But there's a lot of roles with event and uh, events, uh, sorry, marketing in technology. Um, so I'm just wondering if events have always been a part of that. Yeah, for sure. You know, and and really from my uh, from my early days as a marketer, um, you know, events were such an important tool in my tool belt. Um, I think I've tallied up over a thousand events that I've been either a host, you know, speaker, exhibitor, or organizer of uh, in my career. And um, and I think what I've realized and what actually got me so excited about the opportunity to join uh, what was then Socio um, a few years back was that through, throughout my entire marketing career, events have been one of the most important and impactful um, tactics, you know, and parts of both building a brand, going to market, um, getting in touch with, you know, your prospects, your customers, your partners. Um, and, and also through that, um, have just a deep appreciation for how much goes into, you know, planning and pulling off a good event, right? As, as an organizer, as an exhibitor, as a speaker, um, just all, all the details matter and you realize just how important it is to have uh, technology um, that that supports the vision and the mission of the event, uh, as well as the, the people and the, um, the venues and the hardware and all the other components uh, to, to make something really, really, uh, really stand out. I also saw a lot in your kind of uh, CV and in your background, a lot of entrepreneurial activity. How do you balance that out? Because it sounds like you've had some some really big roles with the big companies, but you've also kind of kept your entrepreneurial side going. How does that work? Give us a little insight there. Yeah, you know, so the, the path of uh, an entrepreneur, I guess, in, in over the last 20 years, particularly in the tech landscape is... Uh, one where you know you are looking quarter to quarter, you know month to month to to grow um, as fast and but also effectively as you can to really solve a problem um, that exists in the market, um, and really get laser focused on delivering value for customers. And I've had the great um, you know luxury, I guess, to and privilege to to get to spend time with you know five or six different startups that, that I've helped grow from. The very early days, up to often, you know, an acquisition by a larger company, um, or you know, going public, um, or, or mergers, or spinoffs, and that I think has taught me a lot about um, the the scaling process, right? So how how you grow from sort of the seed of an idea into something that is globally used and trusted. Uh, so it's, it's exciting to get to be part of that in the event industry specifically. Um, but I will say, you know, one of my, um, you know, personal mantras around entrepreneurship is that, you know, you're, you're not just growing, you know, a business, you're growing a product and you're growing a community. Um, and the, the most successful startups, uh, become, you know, truly homes for a lot of people who are, who are gathering together to, to use that technology or that service, um, but also help each other, uh, get better, um, you know, through through that process and through that that community that that you're helping to to create. 
Very interesting. I think you mentioned growing and you know acquisitions, and and I think scaling is a big theme of of your career uh, throughout. And I I don't find that is a word that I mean people do talk a lot about growing events, but it's maybe not as common in in the event industry. Are, are there kind of elements of that that you're able to bring out to your work now in terms of the scaling, whether it being events or whether it being departments within companies, etc. What's your what's your sort of I guess thesis on scaling? Yeah, you know, and I think for our audience, right, maybe um, a way to to position this is think about how you would scale your events program. You know, maybe maybe year one of your big conference, you set a target of five hundred uh, registrants and attendees, and you know, you get you get one or two big name speakers. It's a full day and a half day um, on top of that. You know, so the concept of scale for for that. Um, flagship event year over year it could be you know growth in uh registrant and attendee size maybe you go from all in person to now adding a virtual component and so you're hybrid um, maybe it gets longer right so what used to be a one day becomes a three day um, and then maybe over time you start to build out kind of a satellite uh program where you have um, a series of events leading up to and following up right and now you've got a, a flagship conference ten thousand people every year it's your anchor, right? It's where you make your big announcements. You, you create the, the, the moments that matter and that carry your audience through um, to, to the next thing. Um, and it, and maybe it even becomes almost a business of itself where it's self-funding or it's actually a, a, a revenue generating engine. And starting a company and running a business is very similar, right? In the early days, you, you're you're scrappy. You're trying to get every single you know person you can, every customer you know, is, is maybe, you know, 10% growth. Right. Um, but there's limitations and you have to, you have to pick and choose. You can't do everything. You can't have every speaker, you know, you can't, you can't launch every feature. Right. So you have to be right sized. <clears throat> excuse me, the, the product you build, um, you, you may need to start and focus really, really, uh, narrowly on a certain problem. Maybe it's registration within the event industry and you're building out a, a set of registration tools and pages, but you're not going to handle streaming initially. Um, but over time, you know, you have to start to um, aim to make the product as robust and easy to use at the same time as possible. Um, and that's really um, the journey of Socio now WebEx events is uh, we started off providing primarily mobile event apps, right, for an in-person event only. Um, and it was the pandemic uh, and, of course, uh, sequential funding from our investors that allowed us to really build out a full suite of end-to-end uh, -end event management technology that goes from registration to streaming you know, hybrid in-person virtual uh, to the hardware like badge printing and checkout stations uh, and so much in between. But um, that scaling journey is fun. It's challenging. It's complicated. Um, but it's something I've, I've done a couple times and um, got a lot of passion for uh, helping every event organizer scale their own program. And, um, and doing that uh, in my seat as a marketer with a, a fast scaling event technology company. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. Um just to wrap up on on scaling, which I think is is something that probably we don't talk about enough in, in events. Do you have any any kind of advice from the success that you've had in terms of scaling that that you could share? Maybe something unusual that you don't see other people doing. Um, you know, don't don't need you to give away your your all your secrets, but anything you could share that would be useful. Maybe that's not you know the common things would be really interesting. You know, one one of the lessons that I I think personally have learned, but I've seen really savvy event organizers um, 
just really dig into is the value of your, your evangelist or champion community. And oftentimes those are the early bird registrants. They're the folks who came for your very first event, right? And are continuing to come for your second and third. Maybe they're longtime customers or partners, but they can have such an outsized impact on the energy and momentum um, behind your event and the, the readiness and excitement of new participants to get involved. So I think that understanding that you're that champion audience, that uh, core audience can actually be a huge part of your early agenda, your promotion, um, you know, through things like, you know, getting them invested in posting little videos about how excited they, they are to come back to the conference or how excited they are to speak on stage as part of a panel um, and leveraging that in your marketing, really bringing your audience front and center. Um, one of the huge things that I think technology has opened up for us all as event planners is how much, you know, essentially user generated content we're able to get right from social media, from inside the event app, from all the interactions, the polls, the, the photos people are posting and we're taking in your virtual selfie booth. Right. And all of that you can actually leverage for your upcoming events um, as part of your promotional strategy. So I think, I think for me, scale uh, really does start with that small group, right? It's kind of like how you build a friendship circle or, um, you know, you got to start with a few and then eventually you'll have, uh, you'll have a whole squad um, and an event promotion event scaling uh, often has to be anchored in that same concept, right? It's, it's ultimately about the people, the people who are most excited and the people who form the core of uh, that event community that you're, you're building. And are these things that you're also applying to, to the big events that that's coming up and WebEx one starts in a few hours, as you said, tell us a little bit about, about that event and, and, you know, kind of what was your role in putting this all together and what are you, what are you expecting out of it? Yeah, well, WebEx One is a really exciting moment in time for the Cisco WebEx community. It's our annual global flagship conference. So this is open to the, the broad public. Um, we get thousands of Cisco employees and partners. We get tons of prospects and current customers attending, analysts, the press, um, and, and lots of influencers as well, and tons of uh, both internal and external speakers, right? So this is multi-day. There's three different broadcasts, US, Europe, uh, Asia Pacific. Um, and I think we've got gosh, six tracks and over 40 sessions and a, and a bunch of amazing keynotes, right? So this is, and it's, and it's essentially a, a hybrid attendance model where, um, you know, most of the content is going to be consumed virtually, but there are satellite in-person events. Uh, we filmed our speakers in person, uh, in our San Jose studio um, and elsewhere, uh, and there'll be global watch parties too. So it's it's kind of a fun moment, um, and of course it's it's run on WebEx events. This is the second year in a row. Uh, it was run on uh, what was still Socio when we were first acquired. So this is the second year doing it. Um, but WebEx One actually is also a really good lesson in scale too. Uh, you know, the event has evolved over the years. Um, you know, obviously it was it went all virtual during the pandemic. Um, and, and as things have opened up, uh, you know, we've, we've added some in-person elements, but we, we are definitely applying that sort of core lesson about the importance of, of your core community and being the driver of scale. And then we're very intentional about opening up registration early on, but through the sales and partner team. So they actually make uh, the first set of initial introductions, uh, and uh, invitations out to their, their kind of core customer and prospect audience. And that's really effective because they're hearing, they're getting one-on-one, -on -one, right. Individual, um, 
invitations. And then of course the marketing kicks off. Um, but the other thing we're doing is we, um, we've extended the amount of time prior to the event that we actually open up access to the virtual venue. Um, and uh, this year was, uh, I think, almost two weeks prior. And what this this is really fun because it gives people an opportunity to log in, you know, build their profile, start engaging with content, exploring the agenda, of course, uh, but doing really fun things, right? So we've added like a virtual selfie booth. We have a daily jigsaw puzzle that you can solve, and and it reveals an image, you know, maybe of a new Cisco or WebEx product or some other uh, really fun theme. Uh, you can you know, participate in, in pre-event polls, uh, watch some on-demand content, right? So there's all this kind of rich engagement that you can drive people to do pre-event, essentially. And what tends to happen is your, your champions, right? Your, your hardcore um, and, and most engaged audience members come in and start doing that. And then they start posting those photos on their social media using your hashtag. So in this case, ha hashtag WebX1, you'll already see some fun selfies and other uh, insights that people are sharing uh, even pre-event. Um, and that can can just help drive a lot of that momentum, right? And uh, mm -hmm. and of course, we we leverage that. We reference that uh, as the marketing picks up. We're, we're really pulling into the spotlight, those engagement moments that people are uh, taking in the platform and through social media in advance. Um, and, and it also helps people see themselves in an event too, because it's, it's actually all about them, right? It's not just come here, read some stuff, right? It's actually participate, be part of a conversation, post on the, you know, internal private social wall, uh, and so on. And, and I, I think that that's a really, really important element of scaling your event is, is getting people to be part of it even before the big day. Thanks for guiding us through that few questions around the event. Is this a hybrid event? Or are you calling it a hybrid event, or is it just a virtual event in this, on this occasion? So, actually, if you attend and check out my session in the event, we have a really, really uh, kind of uh, fun conversation about the growing and evolving formats uh, for hybrid events. And we're actually kind of thinking that there is really a lot of different ways to be hybrid. And one of those is a hybrid attendance model. Um, so I think there's hybrid attendance and then there's there's actually a, a hybrid format. Um, a, a fully hybrid event may mean that you've got hundreds or thousands of people showing up physically at a venue, but also you know, that same or maybe even a larger fully virtual audience and they're attending from, from their home. Um, but I think the reality is that um, you know, not that full hybrid format doesn't make sense for every event, right? It's um, that's probably the rarity, and what we're seeing is more of a spectrum, right? A continuum, where some events uh, really want to achieve and and get the most value out of very large audiences, right? Be able to do full global scale, and typically, you know, there's a trade-off um, if you're trying to pull all those people to one physical location, right? You're probably not going to get the same volume as if you make it fully virtual. So for WebEx One, we really wanted to make this something that was available to tens of thousands of um, attendees all over the globe, where travel and and you know showing up somewhere physical wasn't the deterrent or or um, the, the main kind of factor. However, we we have some core audiences that we that where it really really made sense to actually bring them together physically. So sort of this concept of satellite events um, that are part of the program. Um, but you're not anchoring all of your virtual uh, content around. So, for example, we, we brought all of our analysts and press uh, in person for a full day at the San Jose office. 
Um, we've got a number of trainings. Uh, so, you know, for folks that are doing that deep dive, you know, workshop trainings, uh, for example, those can be done in person um, and, and some other experiences. So WebEx One is, uh, is a hybrid attendance, but not technically a full, you know, hybrid event uh, in the truest terms. Uh, but it's certainly on the hybrid continuum. And I think it's representative of what we're seeing a lot of large organizations do with their flagship events, um, even if it's Absolutely. Not, and yeah, I'm totally with you. I mean, you know, hybrid is a loaded word. We're using it also to talk about audiences now in terms of hybrid workforces. And, and mm-hmm. you know, that, that also has a big impact. And we're doing a lot of research on that and writing about that. But um, it sounds like you, you know, I imagine you've taken a lot of learnings from your client events and people using the platform uh, on, you know, the best practices on how to build out the best possible event. Are there any, do any, does anything come to mind, any lessons you've learned from clients or the way people are using the platform that you've been able to apply to this event or, or maybe you weren't able to, but, but are kind of surprising um, learnings that you've found from looking at client events? Yeah. You know, there's, there's a lot of um, power in technology, but actually I think one of the most important things for event planners to do is, um, is decide what they're going to do, but also decide what they're not going to use, right? Um, in fact, the, if, if I used every single feature that is available to me in WebEx events for, for building out a conference, you know, I could have 30 things sort of in the navigation menu. Um, and actually what you want to do is, is think about how do you how do you limit focus, right? How do you have enough variety and diversity in there, right? So I'm talking about, you know, do you have an event game? Do you have uh, on-demand resources? Do you have a virtual selfie booth, uh, you know, live streaming sessions with chat, right? But you, you you probably don't want everything, right? You don't necessarily need all of that to have an effective event. And you may want to sequence some of those features and engagements, right? To turn, turn some on pre-event uh, and then and then drip others out and then maybe change the order in the, um, in the event app itself so that you're prioritizing the features that are really, really uh, most valuable for the actual live component of the event um, kind of at top. So... So, so being crisp and deciding kind of what you add and what you don't, you know, we, we removed a few things from WebEx One last year to, to actually tighten up, um, you know, the, the feature set, but we added a few new fun elements, right? We've got a whole fun stuff uh, feature that has a selfie booth and, and a jigsaw puzzle um, and lots of other fun engagement opportunities. So balancing that out with the really like hardcore meaty content uh, from your agenda, um, I think is, is pretty important. Um, and Miguel, I think the last thing though is, is ultimately the actual experience of watching a session. You event planners really want to think about the quality of the speaker, you know, the lighting, the talk track. You know, if you're showing slides, how long are they sitting up there? Are they well designed? You know, is there music? Is there are there some intermission moments? Uh, is there B-roll video? Are you launching a poll, right? Kind of at the right time during that session where the audience is suddenly invited to kind of give input or feedback into what the speakers are talking about. And do you have some people in there to help moderate the chat and ask, you know, Q&A live, right? I actually think at the end of the day, it's um, it's it's what is happening during that 10, 30, 60 minute period. Um, and really thinking about it more as you're producing sort of live TV than you're, you're hosting, quote unquote, you know, a webinar. Um, and if you think in terms of a TV producer and like, how do I really kind of like keep things moving and get the audience excited and, and give them uh, 
reasons to interact uh, and participate in the chat and more, uh, you you will find yourself with a, a willing, a winning and very scalable uh, event program. I love that part of part, at least a big part of your answer is actually kind of removing and make things simpler and making things more exactly. focused, which is one of my one of my favorite topics, I have to say, when it comes to pretty much everything. But I think in event tech, I think that is really clear that having all the options turned on is pretty much a recipe for disaster. Um, so uh, I'd love that that was kind of the first thing that, that you jumped on there. So when we started the conversation, you mentioned you just kind of come back from IMEX, uh, WebEx, uh, formerly WebEx Events, formerly Socio, had a, a big presence at the show. How did it go? Um, what did you personally get out of it? I mean, I'm sure you had conversations with, with a few, maybe hundreds of people. Um, what was it like for you? What was your experience? Yeah, so IMEX is just such a significant and important event in the event industry, you know, that the annual gathering, uh, in Las Vegas, uh, this was a fantastic in-person event. This is actually our first um, time at IMEX in person since I think like 2018, right, pre-pandemic. So uh, we we went big. We had a 20 by 30 booth space. Um, lots of really excited, exciting conversations and hosted buyers uh, coming coming through to to do actual um, full demos of our product. Uh, and a lot of folks who were just there to kind of learn and and um, see what's out there. But, you know, I have a couple takeaways. I think one, it just really, really underscored how excited and um, deliberate the industry is about selecting their next in-person venue. I mean, you know, you, you saw the booths uh, from hundreds of countries and cities, right, showcasing uh, all the, the amazing places that you can host gatherings of all types and sizes. And, um, and they had fantastic you know, attendance and participation, uh, people really be, being really thoughtful about, you know, the combination of venue and format and technology, I think is the other standout. Um, they're really thinking about, hey, if I if I host a destination event, right, and I'm looking at somewhere in the Caribbean, and I'm trying to get my audience there for five days, but I want it to have as much fun as a vacation, but also meaningful content, right? Like, how does the technology actually support that? How do I make sure that it doesn't feel like, you know, kind of a normal conference app? Um, and I think we're we're starting to see, um, you know, this hybrid planning mindset is 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 really interesting because you have event organizers shopping for the venue, right, the physical space, at the same time as considering technology. And what they're actually doing is thinking about how do I how do I augment my in person audience's experience with digital elements and or how do I leverage technology to um, to bring in a virtual audience and give them this, a, a, as much fun as I possibly can, uh, fully virtual, uh, even if my in-person folks are, are out there having fun um, in the Caribbean somewhere. So. I think, uh, yeah, you you had a, yeah, very much my experience in terms of what, what happened at IMEX and, and the kind of diverse conversations that, that are happening as well. Are you ready to celebrate your successes in the world of meetings and events? The Skift Meetings Awards are back for 2024, recognizing the most innovative business events companies across 15 categories, and we want you to be a part of it. Winners will feature on Skift Meetings, sending a clear signal to events professionals around the world that these are partners they can rely on. The final deadline for submissions is June 11th. We encourage you to start your submission today to secure the best entry rates. For more information and to start your submission, head to live.skift.com. So 
Wanted to talk a little bit about your your plans for for WebEx events, formerly Socio. Um, it's been it's been a real journey. I think you joined very much when the I don't know when you joined. Were you already had you been acquired already? Was that process already in place? So I joined in uh, early 2021, and then we got acquired uh, basically six months later in July, and joined the Cisco. Um, ecosystem. Uh, we we rebranded, renamed as WebEx Events uh, a couple months later and have been just going through some brand transition. Um, so it's it's almost been two years for me. And it, it's actually been really, really exciting because, you know, I've been part of acquisitions and exits before. Uh, in this case, I was really excited to um, commit and, and stay on board with Cisco and keep running and building the WebEx Events marketing organization. Um, but you find that once you're part of a, such a large global company like Cisco, you know, the scale of resources available are, it's just, you know, phenomenal when compared to, you know, those early years as a scrappy startup when, you know, raising, you know, a million dollars from investors is, is a, an absolutely, you know, huge thing. Uh, and I think once you, once you end up, um, with an organization like Cisco, I mean, you know, they, they're solving you know, global technology challenges at scale with massive engineering teams and bringing, you know, things like AI powered instantaneous uh, voice translation to market. Uh, and that's just one of many things. And actually that, that was, um, it's, it's an interesting um, lead into kind of what we're building and what we're launching. Um, we, we had long had on, on our uh, roadmap, uh, the desire to solve for closed captions and real-time audio translation as part of the product, right? Make that a native experience. You know, and we were going to have to build or or buy or partner um, to, to do that. And by joining Cisco, we basically found out that one of Cisco's existing products basically does that. Uh, and so we were able to just uh, very quickly integrate uh, with what, what is uh, within Cisco known as Voicea um, to power all the closed captions now um, at no charge, right? Just baked in natively to our streaming product in now 30 plus languages. And then um, you know, coming soon will actually be the audio component where imagine you could be sitting in a uh, in a in an in-person venue and use your mobile device to plug in your earphones and actually hear the speaker uh, talking a different language than what they're what they're saying on stage. Um, so, and that's just one example of the kind of scaling um, dynamics that you you get you 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 can take advantage of when you uh, do land um, through an acquisition with with a really large global organization like Cisco. Just make makes everything easier. So, sounds exciting. So, I mean, Socio went from an app essentially, right, and then throughout the pandemic built out the virtual platform side, the, the kind of pivot that, that we don't like to use the word P, but you know sometimes it's easier to describe it that way. Um, and then now kind of integrating with uh, the grander spectrum in Cisco, you also have the Slido acquisition kind of integrating all that. It's all pretty exciting. Are there um, other parts of the Cisco technology that you can see either are in the kind of roadmap going forward or that you can see that would be a, an easy thing to integrate that, that you can talk about? Yeah, and I'll talk about both uh, some some other existing Cisco products and then some things that we're building ourselves. And, and that, you know, really it's a um, it's a pretty broad spectrum on our roadmap when you add those, those two areas together. So you mentioned Slido. 
uh, was one of our first things we did once we got acquired is we we made the Slido integration you know native and and completely baked into the WebEx events product. You know, as you know, Slido is also a Cisco product and is actually part of the WebEx suite, uh, just like uh, WebEx events now. And Slido allowed us to just not have to solve for things like polling, quizzes, you know, upvote, downvote, Q and A, um, word clouds ourselves. Right? We we just suddenly were able to. Um, integrate directly with a, another fantastic Cisco product. Um, there's some other ones like that. Uh, Vidcast is a really interesting Cisco uh, product as well that allows you know, anybody to become essentially a master video editor all just through their browser. Um, so we now see a lot of event organizers leverage Vidcast to kind of help build out uh, and up, up the level of some of their production content by basically using this kind of studio uh, essentially to um, splice together videos, do really interesting things with videos, uh, you know, because you don't always have an AV production, you know, video crew uh, to kind of help you edit uh, stuff like that. Um, but we've got a number of things on our roadmap that um, we're, we're building out ourselves, again, as, as native functionality. Um, one pain point, you know, that that I've certainly uh, experienced and rang, rang the bell on is that, um, you know, marketing teams often are working hand in hand with event teams to get get out there and promote the event. And one of the most important ways that we all have to do that is on a website. And what you're typically find is that your web team is using some CMS, right? Maybe WordPress or Webflow or Adobe Experience Manager. And then your event team is using technology like WebEx events, Socio or something else. And uh, it's very rare that you find an event tech that has built out the ability to, to run a full website to promote your uh, technology, your event. Um, nor should that really necessarily be, you know, an event technology um, management platform's vision to also be a website <laughs> content management system, right? Let's, let's let WordPress and the experts do it. Um, but it but it pr 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 presents a gap because a lot of times what happens is event planners are loading all the speakers and the content and their agenda into the app. And then guess what? The web team has to do that all over again for the website. You essentially have two different bodies of content. And what we're doing is we're going to be launching uh, what we call embeddable widgets that will allow the web team, the marketing team to basically, you know, pull any of the content elements uh, that, that, you know, make sense from within the event app itself onto really any kind of website. So these are just little content blocks um, uh, that, that you could drop in to show maybe your, your uh, keynote speakers at top and then uh, your, your agenda that, that allows folks to scroll through um, sponsors, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of elements. And this, this basically means that the event app actually becomes a single source of truth. And the, the event team doesn't have to constantly ping you know, the marketers or the, the web team to say, hey, I got a different, you know, headshot for Miguel. Can we swap it out? Or, ah, Andrew's bio has changed. Can you make that edit? Uh, so really excited about that one. That's going to solve a big pain point that I've personally uh, experienced and my teams have experienced um, with marketing is that you, you really want to bring all that great, rich content from the event app itself into your promotion and not have to uh, create it twice, essentially. And can you do that the other way around as well? Because in some situations, they may not want to have the event app as the single mm -hmm. kind of main source. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're definitely looking at different ways that we can support um, kind of uh, different models for what I call single source of content truth. Um, a lot of teams actually honestly treat a spreadsheet as their single source of truth. And the spreadsheet with the speakers and uh, the bios 
uh, can something that, that can easily be essentially re you know loaded into the WebEx event app as well as um, the website. But I, I personally think that a lot of organizers will benefit from treating the event app as the source of truth for the for all the kind of core ingredients for your event, um, because the, the faster you can get people into your app, right, pre-event, the more value you're going to get an organizer of all that engagement opportunity. So, you know, remember, most of us, when we're reading through things on a website, we're essentially anonymous visitors. Um, mm-hmm. However, uh, one cool thing about our embeddable widgets is, is we will actually be able to track um, your clicks on the website, right, as long as we can uh, uh, tie that in to your, your actual uh, registration account to the event app so that if you're viewing and clicking on maybe a sponsor banner uh, that's embedded on your website, we'll, we'll be able to pick that up just as if you were clicking on that sponsor banner inside the event app itself and, and uh, tie those those behaviors together. So there's some real advantages to, to doing that instead. For sure, yeah. So I know that as you develop these these product maps, you're obviously paying attention to what's happening in the market. Uh, you know, we're also doing research on SCIF meetings. Uh, we're talking about more scattered audiences, challenging to get people's attention. Everybody wants engagement. Mm-hmm. We've talked about these things and, and happy if you want to kind of go in that direction. But I'm wondering what trends you're, you're picking up or what things you're, you're seeing in your data that or maybe a little surprising, and maybe you're, you maybe maybe we're wrong. Maybe we're questioning those things. Is actually that's not happening. This is what's actually happening. Would love to get some insights from from what you, the data that you have. Yeah, you know we're we're seeing really strong uptake on our closed captions and translation, uh, more so than we thought. Um, I think it's actually it's interesting how many events can actually be global or or multilingual or have very diverse audiences once you. Uh, solve for sort of that that basic um, accessibility uh, requirement around translation and language. So that that's been a, a trend that I've been happy to see uh, stronger than than I imagined. Um, and data, are people using it in the way that you're expecting them to? Or are there any kind of surprises there? Like like, do you get loads of English people just wanting to see captions anyway? It is possible, Miguel. I, I for one, have definitely uh, turned on both Spanish and French captions because those are two languages I am trying to learn, <laughs> and, uh, and so it's it's a it's a fun way. But I'm not sure if that's the the primary use case. Um, I think more so what what's happening is organizers are realizing um, what in the past was potentially a barrier and maybe a hard barrier to solve for, right? Like hiring a translator and or and or using a third party widget to power closed captions, right? It, sometimes it, people just weren't doing it because it was hard or it cost too much money. And I think now because, uh, you know, things like this can essentially just be almost table stakes and it's allowing organizers to suddenly say, oh, like, you know, my community actually does have a fairly large Spanish speaking population. Maybe much of that is bilingual, but there's certainly no uh, no barrier anymore to turning on uh, and leveraging closed captions and translation throughout the event app. So why don't I promote it as something that has, you know, multilingual um, uh, audience experience, you know, options? And suddenly, what they're seeing is because they're able to offer that, um, the the types of folks that are able to show up, um, both domestically or globally. Uh, really, really does expand. And I think that's an exciting shift. Um, certainly inclusivity and accessibility are uh, important themes throughout the event industry, but you know, it really comes down to very specific elements uh, that technology can support um, in addition to uh, your philosophy and, and approach. 
that sounds like a, like a great kind of addition to to everything that that you already have in place. Um, so yeah, thank you for taking us through the, the kind of uh, outline. Um, in terms of the kind of the bigger picture, um, what are you seeing in terms of challenges? Because you know these are some of the trends happening. Uh, maybe captioning was a challenge or, or still is a challenge. But are there any other kind of big challenges out there that that you're seeing uh, that would be good for the industry to kind of overcome? I think the biggest challenge that we're all going to face is just all the economic forces that are are creating a counterwind to what was a really exciting reopening after the pandemic, right? Um, it, it almost feels like the event industry is uh, caught in a bit of a pendulum right now, and um, and I'm personally nervous that we are swinging back towards a little bit more budget constrained uh, territory. And what this means, though, for event planners is that we we all have to be really deliberate about where we invest the dollars to create these really key moments, right? Maybe it's a big name speaker, or maybe it's a certain experiential element at your in-person venue. Um, but it, it's likely that you're just not going to have, you know, I mean, across the industry, we're not going to have uh, the same dollars to spend, or we have to be really judicious and thoughtful about it. And on the flip side, our attendees, as, as you know, start getting pressured by inflation and um, just the rising cost of travel, I think are really going to have to make um, tough choices about events that they attend, you know, whether they can afford to go in person or have the time to attend virtually. And I say all that, Miguel, to, to say, I think the hybrid um, options are an increasingly a critical part of organizer planning. And we're lucky that there is such a wide spectrum of what it is and means to be hybrid. But I do think we're going to see that um, crystallizing into kind of like a little bit more of a standard operating procedure. Um, you know, we, we all know that there's incredible scale and value you can get if you, if you turn what used to be a thousand person in-person event into maybe one that also has 10,000 virtual attendees. But it's also not easy, right? There's a lot of uh, factors to think about, and it doesn't necessarily make sense for every event. But I do think we're going to see more organizers um, being very, very savvy about uh, when to um, use what kind of hybrid model for, for certain events. Um, I also think that we're seeing people grapple with this you know, virtual event fatigue and kind of attention span challenges that we are seeing more and more shorter virtual events, or we're seeing people recognize that if you're going to get people to spend two or three hours with you, it better have a lot of, you know, um, kind of fun moments throughout, right? And, and maybe that's a, a lot of small 15-minute segments uh, broken up uh, with some really interesting experiential moments. But I think the days of getting a crowd to sit through an hour-long webinar with one speaker or uh, <laughs> have, have maybe come to a Come to an end, uh, or at least those webinars are, are getting a whole lot more um, interesting and, and, and exciting. So, event organizers have a lot to uh, work through in the coming years. Um, but I do think that the technology and the learnings that we've all got from the pandemic uh, are actually setting ourselves up well to address uh, a world of, of some potential constraints when it comes to the economy. And just building on that a little bit, in terms of you know the economic constraints, recessions, all these things that are probably you know beyond the the event industry. When 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 clients come to you and say, or your team and say, you know, we, we don't have as much budget, or we are concerned, or you know, there's all these kind of restrictions or, or potential challenges going ahead. Um, how do you respond to that? I mean, is there a a kind of 
you know, absolutely guaranteed ROI from having mm-hmm. a kind of a hybrid strategy? I mean, I imagine there isn't, but how do you kind of say, how do you help them move this issue up the food chain and say, hey, if we invest in this direction, this might actually be helpful in times of uncertainty? Yeah, that's a great question. And we, we've had actually really had to think about that from a standpoint of how we price and package, Miguel. Um, so we do offer a lot of uh, essentially, you know, a la carte, you know, kind of customizable packages that can ensure that you're not buying things that you don't need, right? Um, like if you're running a fully virtual event, obviously you don't need our on-site badge printing um, technology. But if you're doing a hybrid event, there's some important considerations. If you have 10,000 total attendees, but only a thousand of them are in person, you don't want to pay the badge printing uh, registration costs, right, for that technology for your entire 10,000 person audience, right? So you want to be able to pick and choose uh, and have the different components of the tech and the hardware and the services really align to um, the attendee uh, experience and, and what you're going to have to invest to make that work. So I, I do think that um, you know we, we've we've adjusted kind of how we sell and and what we offer. Um, obviously, our pricing is all attendee based, so it does scale with the size of the event, which is also very beneficial. Um, you're going to you know pay something uh, different for WebEx events if you're running a 500 person event than if you're planning a 5,000 person event. And those tiers are um, fairly small, so so the, uh, the 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 step up right is not. Um, too cumbersome for for folks. But I do think like from a planner standpoint, um, you know, it's going to be important to think about how you can get ROI, especially from a hybrid event format when it comes to ticketing versus sponsor and other revenue. Um, We are seeing, you know, it's more common for organizers to charge less for a virtual ticket um, and sometimes free, but not always. Uh, but they have to be really mindful that your in-person attendees, if they're paying for a ticket, they also have to pay for flights and hotel uh, uh, oftentimes. And so the actual total cost of attendance can be really large. So that's creating some pressure on both directions. Um, but the the hybrid technology has actually made it much more um likely that you're going to be able to generate and prove ROI to your sponsors. So for event organizers that are able to generate some revenue through sponsorships um, or exhibits, just know that uh, through a hybrid event, you could get your sponsors, you know, a hundred leads at the in-person trade show, but maybe 500 more from all the virtual attendees. And I'll tell you, your sponsors are much more uh, excited to sponsor an event where the, 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 audience size is is as large as what a a, lar- a a hybrid event can accommodate than if than if it was purely in person or purely virtual so there's some balancing acts for sure um but but there's a lot of options i think for event planners now um and there are some really great ways to ensure roi and make sure your events are uh not just paying for themselves but ideally also uh, generating potentially income for your business it sounds like you are uh doing a good job of helping uh, planners kind of make the case for, for hybrid and for keeping those options flexible, right? So so people can, so you can expand uh, in, in any way that you can. Um, so I want to start wrapping up. I wanted to capture a few last thoughts from you. And one is really about your future of the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you, how in your mind is, is, the, is the industry going to change? And then if you can expand on that, how are the actual events going to change, if you will? 
Yeah, I I think technology is certainly going to keep playing a, a more and more important and central role in the industry. I, I do think that the mobile event app, right, which is where WebEx events as Socio got our start, is going to become more and more ubiquitous and common. Um, if you recall pre-pandemic, you know, mobile event app was um, not the standard, right? I mean, a lot of in-person events were still printing their programs and um, or having a very limited digital experience. And I think that will, will become the norm now, right? This it's, it's just part of the overall wave of digitization of everything. Uh, <clears throat> but fortunately a mobile event app is now, you know, something you don't even need a coder to develop, right? You can use software as a service provided by WebEx events and other platforms to, to build out a really great, um, app experience. Um, and I think that'll, uh, help attendees get more engage with the event, um, both when they're showing up in person and or if they're attending virtually. I think another big trend that we're going to see uh, is the, the the balancing app between things that, that can happen and make sense to do live versus stuff that really can just, just as easily be an on-demand broadcast experience. Um, one of the big themes that that emerged uh, and that our audience can certainly check out at WebEx One is that um, you know production and the quality of content I think is is really taking center stage, uh, and that's in part forced by some of the virtual event fatigue that that has emerged. Um, but the reality is, if you're going to whether you're flying people out right, having people you know all gather in in Las Vegas, or you're asking them to give you a couple hours of their time on their their laptop from home, if they're watching something that, you know, at the end of the day, just kind of feels like there, there's really no difference between seeing it live versus just accessing it on demand on your own time, then why are you doing it as an event, right? Why not just post, post it as a video? You really want to think about how that live experience is actually more than simply watching a video. Um, and I think event planners are really taking that to heart and realizing like, they got to make their audience part of the content, you know, maybe launch a poll and then your speaker is literally able to bring up the poll results live on the screen behind them and speak to it, right? Q&A can be happening and the speaker can look on their iPad and, and check out the Q&As that are being upvoted and pause in the middle of their script and say, hey, I know I've been talking about this, but I'm just seeing that, you know, 100 people have upvoted this question. Let me address it now live, Right. That is going to make uh, the difference between an event that I think um, feels like something that is worth, you know, showing up for in that moment in time versus one that um, you may as well just watch on demand. So I do think that the trend we're going to see with content production and kind of how to really make those moments uh, truly uh, engaging and, and participatory uh, are going to flow through many more events, um, whereas you know, in early days of the pandemic, I think just just the fact that you could show up and see someone <laughs> speaking uh, speaking on a on a computer in front of you was um, you know was was engagement enough. But we're we've we've evolved far past that, um, and content truly is king, and it's also got to be engaging and participatory. You're setting the bar high, so you want high end production, <laughs> but you also want interaction and and a lot of. Uh, it sounds like. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like you're saying we all need moderators and quite talented moderators to make this all work, to make events really, really come together and, and kind of good production there. I think I think your MC or the person kind of backstage in the production room who's keeping things moving, uh, surfacing questions, you know, 
uh, deciding when to show a slide instead of the speaker's heads, you know, queuing up some video. That that role is is a really really important one, and I think that the talent for that, um, the finesse involved in it, actually is is something that the event industry um, should be investing in and supporting in because it's going to be one of the most critical roles uh, both for marketing and event teams globally. And I think you're spot on. Anybody who's looking for a career in events, you know, get get some time kind of in the quote unquote production studio you know, backstage, uh, figuring out how to make these moments, you know, these 15, 30, 60 minute segments really fun and really flow. Uh, and you're going to set yourself up for a, a really fantastic uh, future because that that is certainly where we're all trying to get to. Sounds like a good future proofing uh, career kind of um, That's right. path. Last question for you, Andrew. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Wanted to get your recommendation for somebody else that we should have on the podcast. And if possible, a question that we should ask them or a story that maybe you, you think that it would be good for them to share. Ah. Um, well, I'm, I'm glad you asked. You know, uh, top of mind for me is uh, Peter uh, Komornik, who is the CEO slash general manager of Slido. And as we mentioned, you know, Slido was a, another Cisco acquisition a few years back. Um, but I, I've watched them grow as well, both uh, from you know my, my vantage as socio before we got acquired and now through Cisco. And Slido is just doing incredible things. And I think they have a really interesting perspective on that audience engagement part. Um, and it'd uh, be really fun to ask him, uh, when should organizers uh, you know, um, ask questions anonymously, uh, you know, and, and, and encourage attendees to participate anonymously versus uh, when it makes sense to uh, encourage uh, participants to submit things with their name. There's a there's a whole psychology to dimension around anonymous versus, quote unquote, you know, public participation, uh, whether it's in polls or word clouds or other um, other moments. And Slido has been learning a lot about how uh, just just that dynamic um, can really transform both internal events, right, within a company and, and external, um, but also some of the things that moderators and event planners have to navigate and and, and think about uh, when you're inviting sort of this essentially real time, fully transparent interaction and collaboration with your audience, uh, and and kind of the dynamics that show up for anonymous versus non-anonymous participation. But Slido is doing incredible things. Uh, it's a great tool to, to leverage. Uh, and I think Peter would would uh, would love uh, spending some time with you, Miguel. I love it. Love it. I, I know Peter well, and I've, I've followed the Slido team for a long time. So I absolutely welcome the suggestion and uh, hopefully we can make that happen. Andrew, thank you for your time. I know it's a busy day for you. So wish you best of luck with WebEx One. And uh, I've really appreciated this conversation. So once again, uh, thank you and uh, best of luck with everything. Great. Thanks for the invitation, Miguel. Have a great day.